Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. I'm reading the first scripture reading, Exodus 32. Uh, Chapter 32, verses 1 to 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. Thanks be to the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The parable of the wedding banquet. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to, them, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, 
but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many are called, and few are chosen. It sounds like a, it's a pretty severe thing to say, isn't it? How do we like our God? I'm guessing most of us like our God cuddly, right? We want a God who hugs us, makes us feel good. We want a God, we want a God that tells us we're the winner, don't we? Many are called, but few are chosen. That's a, that's a tough thing to hear. We, what, just three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we had a verse about people who showed up at the last hour of the day and still got the full pay? And this God throws someone out of the house. And the language that's used is basically a translation of hell. Throws them into hell for the horrible crime of not wearing a wedding robe. Now one of the things I think that's hard about this verse is that we, we understand half of this verse in a deeper way, I'm guessing. But we don't understand the entire verse in a deeper sense. So we get the fact that the king is not a random king, right? Everyone's on board with that? The king is most likely, anyone want to guess? God, right? We, we get it. The king's God. Now the wedding, the wedding, is that an actual wedding? No. The wedding is about us being close to God, right? Everyone gets that. Is the wedding robe a wedding robe? But yet when we read it, we oftentimes say, my gosh, why would he just cast somebody out like that? Now here's, here's what I want to say about the Bible. In Swedenborg's understanding of Scripture, he understands that humanity is the one who wrote the Bible. So there are certain things in the Bible that when we write it, although it is inspired by God, we write it from a human perspective. Now, I want to know, have any of you ever felt like you were kicked out of the inside club? I'm guessing. It's a human experience, right? I know there have been times when I have felt like I have been punished unjustly. Once I got a little older, some of those times, guess what? I deserved every little bit of it. I actually created the situation that brought about my getting kicked out of the party. The question is, if you are invited to a party, what do you wear? How do you prepare to go to a party? I have a great date tonight, by the way. Anyone wanna, you know, I'm going to talk about my date for a second. It's the fall. The uh, Hopkinton public school system has figured out how to get money out of parents, which is promoting parent-child activities, letting the kid go for free, but high ticket prices for the parent to go. So tonight I'm going to something called the pumpkin prom. So my daughter and I have to have matching outfits so we can go to the pumpkin prom 
We can get, she has a little corsage. I could go home, put on my night clothes and go to that, couldn't I? My daughter would be crushed. She's even planning to put on makeup. Mom's going to do her hair. I'm probably going to get out of this collar and wear one of my fancy bow ties. But I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to be dressed up because this is a special thing. When I go to a party, I have to prepare. The wedding banquet isn't just a party. It is your life. This verse is about stating you need to actually prepare to live. So, this is not a question that is a short-term question. How does one prepare and engage life? One of the very first known times this was asked was by a wacky, crazy guy named Plato. Anyone know Plato? He has a special little allegory. Anyone know the allegory of the cave? Some of you probably do. Anyone not know the allegory of the cave? All right, good. So you're going to learn about the allegory of the cave. So Plato had a really great understanding of what a human was. He said the average person could be compared to a person who lives in a cave, who is tied up and cannot leave that cave. Not only are they tied up, their heads can only look at the back wall of the cave. He was chipper about humans. To make the story even better, not only could they not move, they stared at this back wall. The only thing they had to create a world was the fact that on that wall there were shadows. So the, the cave was a special design cave where the people sat down in front of like a berm, a wall, or a puppet stage. And through either the sunlight or a fire, there are different versions of the story, light would come into the cave and there would be little creatures, let's see here, dancing around with little things on the cave wall. What's that? Anyone want to take a guess? A tree. Yeah, look at that. Kind of fuzzy. Hard to see. He said, that's what our perception's like. So you could have little stories. If I had multiple people, maybe you could make up a little story. Here, yeah, a little person. Just so your heads don't... Just so your heads don't get... Uh, Okay, what about candy? Oh, a candy cane, that's a good one. Someone said a staff. Turn it upside down. Jay, fish hook. The point being, oh, how about, okay, then I can do. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, the point being, we don't actually, he would claim, see what reality is. We only see the reflection or the shadow of what reality is. I'm sure someone really thought there was a dog, right, about to eat our choir director. No? Okay. Now he goes on to actually say that one person could escape, sneak out of the cave, and actually see what a tree looked like, actually see what a human looked like, actually see what a, uh, a candy cane looks like. 
what a dog really looked like. And that person would be really excited, right? What would they do then? They would run back to their friends who are chained in the cave. They would tell them, and those people would elect him ruler, and they would celebrate and have a party that now understood the truth. Anyone think that's how it ended? Yeah, it didn't end like that. He comes back, he tells them, and they kill him. (laughs) Why on earth would these people who only understood the world of shadow believe this lunatic who talked about colors, who talked about creation in a way that they'd never experienced? They kill him. They eradicate him. For Plato, this was a person named Socrates, his teacher, and it was a metaphor about how he was the smart guy who could offer the meaning of life and happiness to each of them. And those people said, no, I, I know what life's really about. I'm not going to listen to that person. They killed him. One could say, in both our Old Testament and our New Testament reading, this is exactly the issue that's happening. Moses has gone up a hill to talk to God. People get bored. They start to get a little hungry and complainy. What do they do? They say, I'm going to go to a God that's going to give me something to eat. They fixate on the things that they think are going to help them. Shadows. In the New Testament, you have all these people who had the opportunity to go and be close to God, be close to the king, and they didn't want to. So then they invite every single person And the people who come don't come prepared. What does it mean to prepare? Who here wants a good life? I do. I like a good life. Um, Some people like to identify the fact that a good life, I even heard it yesterday at a conference I was at, has something to do with the Tesla Model S. I actually have to admit, I know what a Tesla car is. I know more about their home battery unit that you can hang on the wall and pretend like it's artwork. Um, I don't really know what a Model S is versus any other model, but somehow getting that is supposed to mean that you have a good life. Right? Somehow we have these ideas, what is it that makes a good life? Now, if we define our good life by having the right automobile, by having the right telephone, which I'm now confused, there's a an iPhone 8, an iPhone, is it X or 10? Is it 10 or is it X? There you go. And it's near the 10th anniversary or something, too. There you go. And in order to celebrate that great thing, what they did is they released at the same time as another phone, but they made it even more expensive because if you buy the 10, you will be happier. I, I know the, o, the OLED display. The, the point being is in marketing. They are marketing it to tell you, if you live this way, you can be happy. If you get the right car, you can be happy. If you have the right money, you can be happy. For the vast majority of creation, that has not been true. Everything that we hold as the things that are about the ideal and essential life outside of basic necessities did not exist 80 years ago, for the most part. So much of the things that we fixate on as happiness are not about 
the things, but about the qualities and states that arise from the things. Young kids used to actually have games with sticks where they would hit little things. What, like cans? Is that right? Wasn't it like a can game? Or like you'd roll a wheel, and the, the goal would be to keep the wheel rolling and not fall over for the longest distance. Right now, kids are getting motorized action figures that do all sorts of crazy things, right? A hundred years ago, a wheel and a stick was the toy that you needed. Now, I am not trashing technology. Anyone who knows me knows I love technology. I love to play with all that stuff. I, I, the sole reason I had children is so I could buy them little robots that I could play with. <laughs> the point being, the true happiness, the good life, the preparation that we need to have, the splendor, the color, the beauty of the life not of shadows, is something that has existed from the beginning of time. And the more we put our happiness on objects of this world, guess what? The more we live in shadow. I use this example all the time, so you will probably get very tired of it. I cannot tell you every single toy that I have gotten for Christmas. I can tell you that I, I remember all of the friends that I played with all of the toys. Just the other day I was talking to someone who was relaying to an, ex an experience that they had with me. I have fond memories of this friend and for the life of me I did not remember this memory. Which he was bringing up as the greatest thing that we ever did together. My happiness was not based on what we did, but the relationship that was formed. How are we preparing? Because there's another side to preparing too. Are we ready to listen? Martin Luther King came to tell us a very real truth about where we were heading. And he was killed for it, many would say. The same can be said about Jimmy Carter, who said, oh my gosh, this deficit problem, man. We need to raise taxes so we don't get too far in the hole. Got voted out of office. Right now, we only want to elect people that are going to give us the world that we think we want. So here's what I'm going to do. If you want to prepare yourself, and you think that you have the answer to what makes you happy, you are probably wrong. That's hard for us to hear, isn't it? Because who would know what we would want better than we? Or you want better than you? Certainly I know what you would make you happy, right? No. The point being, what, who do we listen to? This is what Plato was talking about in his statement, is that these people don't have the ability to understand what's good for them. And when I look at scripture, and I look at the repeated pattern of people consistently acting against their long-term best self-interest, the Bible is a place that you can look to that says, hey, there are things that will make you happy. And we all follow the Bible, but we follow the Bible in such a way that we want the God who cuddles us and not the God that warns us. We are unhappy with the parts of the Bible that tell us we could be wrong. We are unhappy with the parts of our lives that stop us from doing the things that we think will make us happy, where oftentimes we do the thing that makes us happy, we get caught 
And then we end up having to do something to make up for that bad decision. I know it's happened in my life. When I was a young kid, you know, I wanted to be um, strong like Spider-Man. I told the story ever. I was, I was big into Spider-Man. So I said, I need to be good like Spider-Man. So I'm going to climb the kitchen counter. I'm going to get the Spider-Man vitamins. And I'm going to take every last one of them. Because that's how you get to be like Spider-Man. I had a visit from Serp of Ipecac and Poison Control. I paid for it. If I would have gone to someone and said, I want to be strong like Spider-Man, and they told me, okay, well, that means you have to start a workout regimen, proper health, proper protein, do all this work. I wouldn't want to do it. I wanted it quick. I wanted it easy. I ignored the fact that I was surrounded by parents and other people who could give me better advice than I wanted myself. So here we are. How do we have a better life? Plato would say it takes work. It takes trusting. Do you know how many people lived before you? Anyone want to take a guess? A whole lot. (laughs) A whole lot of people lived before you. A whole lot of people may not have had to worry about whether or not their keyless entry system was functioning with their iPhone. But they all struggled with happiness. Every world religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, all of them talk about what does it mean for us to be happy, to be close to God, to be feeling like individuals who are complete and who are whole. All of those writings happened before the iPhones, before the technology, and they happened, and people have been struggling with this for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. If we take the time and if we work to understand that we are vessels of true life and that we can actually look to the people who went before us to give us insight, how do we live a better life? We do it in relationship, we do it in community. We do it by loving. A person who has everything. We're getting closer closer to Christmas, right? A Christmas carol. The Scrooge, the person who has everything but never shares it, is alone. Meanwhile, you have Tiny Tim, injured, hurt, and poor, who loves everything because he shares the entirety of his life with other people. If we focus our lives on trying to be the person who possesses, who has, we are only fixating on things that are dead. That's the golden calf. When we fixate in this world, we fixate on what is dead. When we fixate on the things that are alive, the love and faith, the relationships, the wedding banquet, when we prepare ourselves to say, you know, today... I might not win the lottery, but I'm going to talk to the person on the commuter rail next to me. Or I'm going to just say hi to everyone I pass. There are research studies out there, people who have gone before us that have clearly stated humans like talking to each other. It's our greatest fear. And we do everything in the world to pull out the self. I was at a conference yesterday, the Massachusetts Council of Churches. You know, when I walked in there, I was alone, first response, pull out the cell phone, I'm going to do something to make myself either look important or not appear to be lonely and bored. And I had to physically tell myself, no, I'm putting the technology away, not because technology is bad, 
but because I needed to do the uncomfortable thing of walking up to people and saying, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm a Swedenborgian. <laughs> That's the response I got, by the way. They were applauding that I was there. You would have no, it was an amazing thing. It was absolutely, normally people look at you funny, they applauded. Uh, how do you prepare? What is it that you wear? It's not about the physical clothing. In the Bible, physical clothing is symbolic of the things that you actually do and that you show to other people. How do you prepare to go to a party? How do you prepare to be in relationship with one another? You have to practice it. You have to be willing to say, I want to be your friend. I want you to know my name. I want to care about you. And be willing to hear their answer. So with that, let us each prepare our hearts, our minds, and our lives for the good life by just turning to whoever's sitting next to you, who you don't know, or you do know, but isn't necessarily somebody you're married to. I'm just picking on those two at least. And just saying hi. Okay, choir. Everyone just say hi. How's it going? And hi. How's it going? And acknowledge. Let us acknowledge that each other exists. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.